Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes, and instead get up close and personal with the lesser-known legacies and real-life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people. Guess who's back? (laughs) Back again. (gasps) Oh, yeah, I'm keeping that. Um, It's us. We made it. Us here being us, like specifically. Us here. Me, Audrey, you, Elliot. Back in the studio for the first time in six months. How are you feeling? Well, people felt like I'd fell off. Just (laughs) because I'd been in the lab with a pen and a pad. Stop. <laughs> but <laughs> trying to get this damn label off. But now, it has a feel. It feels weird. It feels good. It, yeah, yeah, I'm like, nervous. Yeah, it's strange. It's so low stakes. I can just edit all this out and I still feel nervous. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, it's going to take a little while to get the yeah. get the crust off the gears and get the rust out the mechanisms. And I don't know. <laughs> Neither you nor I are a mechanic. Uh, and or particularly mechanically inclined. So the rest might stay, but hopefully the jokes come. I feel like I have been able to repair things in my mm-hmm. life before. That's a very vague general statement of <laughs> something I believe you have probably done. I've done it. I've done it. Yeah, the first question I I have, honestly, where have you been the last six months? <laughs> I have not seen or talked to you since our last episode. What happened? Stop. I just, you just... <laughs> disappeared. I mean, that's actually what people message us on Instagram all the time. <laughs> Where are you? Yes, I, I would like to know. I would love to know, honestly. We've been some places the past we, six months. We have been some places. We have been some yeah. places. I think we owe people an explanation. For what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for disappearing. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you now. Yes. Um, where have we been? Well, okay. So the, the big thing that kicked this all off is that the precipitating event? How long was this actually six months? How long April was this? 25th was the last time we released an episode. Oh, over six months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a long time. Yeah. The big thing is that right before we started our hiatus, sabbatical? Yeah. Both. Whatever. Extended vacation? It's not been a vacation. Our hiatus. We yeah. were in talks with a upstart podcast network Mm -hmm. for them to acquire and distribute our show. Yes. Very exciting. Yeah, it was exciting. It was, uh, it was very strange too, because we had just been doing this little thing for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. And well, I mean, no, everyone knows why I do this little thing. The validation. For the attention. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) we had been doing this thing, me for fun. You for a deep need to be seen by others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though they were new, they had some people involved in their company that actually were incredibly good at their jobs and incredibly successful at their jobs that had done a lot of very f- famous podcasts before. Um, yes. Really exciting. So we began talking to them. Uh, they mm-hmm. just approached us. Like, honestly, when you s- showed me the email the first time and they reached out, I was, I was 100% convinced this was a scam. Like, I just oh, knew. Oh, for sure. Like, absolutely for a scam. Sure. Uh, yeah. it, it took me several days to even believe that this thing was something other than trying to get our social security numbers. 
Mm-hmm. So just know if you send us an email pretending to be a network trying to get our social security numbers, I am very, I am very attuned to that and very skeptical. <laughs> Not worth your time. Yeah. Uh, most podcast networks don't start with the social security number. There's like a, a little process before that. Yeah. If you want to fool me, you've got to slow play it. You really mm-hmm. have to invest some time. It is yeah. not the first thing I hand over, but it was real. They didn't actually try to get our social security number till the very end. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we were in talks and we, we got several stages down the line. Like we met the creative teams. We met our sound engineer, our producers, mm-hmm. our executive producers. It uh, was reco- months. This was months of Recorded a pilot. Yep. I think a pretty good pilot too, frankly. Yeah. I'll, I'll edit and release it because we do, we actually do own it. It's ours. Yeah. Got our lawyers, started like the negotiations, talked for weeks, agreed on some stuff, didn't quite agree on others. Uh, the end of the story is basically that by the time we were basically at the last step, something happened on their side. We couldn't quite make the deal. There were some details about things that we'd heard from other people signing up with networks that we were like trying to make sure we're in the deal. And then also something really changed on their side. And Mm -hmm. when they thought they were going to go with like five or six brand new shows, still to this day, they only have like what, two? I think they didn't end up getting as many shows as they really wanted either. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't really kept up with it um, because after that, then everything sort of spiraled. Yeah. So I just want to say for all the people that we worked with on the creative side that were like helping us, but they were fantastic and great and wish them all the best. Brilliant people. Business side stuff didn't quite work out, but like otherwise they were fantastic people. Uh, Then our life just spiraled out (laughs) of control for the next six months. It was a wild time. Yeah. I got shingles as a 35 year old adult. That was fun. Out of nowhere. Um, that Sorry. was horrible. That was not fun, actually. No. That was horrible. No. Okay, good. I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't actually ask you about that afterwards, but you're saying it was, it was, that was not fun? That was the bad That was part. not fun. No, nope. okay. that, that was very painful. And still, that wasn't, uh, that was just the beginning. Yes. Uh, after that, our kid, our eight-year-old, got very sick all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Like, all I see you for a while sick. In all seriousness, the worst day of my life in there somewhere like it was horrific um yeah doing well now out of the woods but for a while there it was just like a nightmare um and it wasn't like two days it was like a month or two or while until we were like feeling back to normal i don't feel back to normal it was a life-changing diagnosis that it's not just oh we were in the picu pediatric icu because people don't know what that means i think until you've been there it was we were in the PICU with a nearly comatose child, and then our entire life had to change in the most significant, dramatic ways every minute of every day for forever at this point. What I'll tell you is not the easiest thing to find jokes about yet. Working <laughs> no. on it. Working no, we'll on get it. There. <laughs> we'll get there. But uh, definitely more challenging. And then after a while, uh, We'll spare you some of the details. That was not actually the most stressful part of our life a few months later. There were other <laughs> things going on too, if you can believe it. Um, yeah. There was other chaos in our lives. Then there was... It's truly every single week up until I would say this week, knock on wood. Yeah. We have, we have had some, I don't want to say catastrophic. At this point, a lot of it's just like deeply inconvenient, but yeah. meaningful interruptions. 
Like we have uh, tried to get back to the podcast multiple times only to be interrupted. One week when we thought like, okay, this has been wild, but at least it's over. The next day your grandpa died. That's true. R.I.P. Pappy. Indeed. Yeah. Um, pour one out. <laughs> pour one out for Pappy. What would his one be? I don't. I mean, he um, probably just like a Bud Light. I don't know. Yeah, probably. He, did, he wasn't a big drinker. He didn't. Yeah. Lemonade. I don't know what it would be. Anyway. So is that the most recent thing? Oh, no. And then after all of that. We were just like, man, all, we've had all this chaos in our lives. What can we do to like calm things down? And we we're like, Audrey's like, oh, look at this puppy on the SPZ oh, yeah, website. Yeah, yeah. And we <laughs> so got we a, puppy. Get a puppy. <laughs> we deserved him. Believe it or not, not less chaos when you bring a puppy into your life. No, nope, it's all. not. But it's a long game. A puppy's a long game, right? So mm-hmm. like in the short term, very chaotic. But then you end up with a good dog versus what? we've been doing for yes. 14 years which is just adopting old decrepit animals <laughs> who, were, who had who were bad, bad attitudes <laughs> and did not like people or did not think they needed people and were kind right. of resentful of having to live in our house yeah so at this point you know it's a it's a couple months of chaos for a dog that actually listens it's yes. a trade-off so also r.i.p clyde last year but our new puppy's name you picked it out is Oh, I did. Yeah. It's Lanyap. Do you want to tell folks what that means? Because everybody's like, what is that word? Yes. Okay. So it's, it's so wild to me because I just grew up knowing this word. Um, but it is a Cajun French word. Mm-hmm. It is pronounced Lanyap. So it sounds like it would be spelled L-A-N-Y-A-P, but it is mm-hmm. spelled L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E. Correct. Because the French can always make something more complicated and uh it means like a little extra a little bonus a little something for you usually in the context of you're at a shop and they throw a little extra in like oh oh here's some lanyard for you yeah like a baker's dozen type idea but it also you can use it outside of that like you're going to the shop concept too um been around for a long time mark twain said it was a great word he said it was worth traveling to new orleans for yeah, a word worth traveling to New Orleans to get. So, yeah. uh, it is a great word for a great dog. Lanyap's great. Yeah. She's amazing. She'll only get better. You've got now the responsibility to put pictures of Lanyap on social, I think. Oh, for point. sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, that will be bonus to this episode. If you go to our Instagram at Your Heroes Pod, you can find pictures of Lanyap for sure. I think that rounds out the six months. I, we left out a couple other admissions to ICU, a few other illnesses, but a trip to Disney World. <laughs> In that whole chaotic period, one thing that consistently you have been showing me is that for those of you out there who've been waiting and like interested in, in like looking for a uh, new episode of the podcast, it is, it is so kind and it is so fun to see people discover the podcast and be like, Hey, I listened to every single episode in two weeks. When's the next one? Uh, because I have to tell you our personal bar for quality is so low and our effort expended is so little that to have it, uh, resonate with somebody to be interesting or to have you find it entertaining. Uh, it's really heartwarming. It is so nice to see. One of the reasons that, frankly, we were even talking to a network is because we picked this up as like a little random pandemic project, dear God, two and a half years ago, 
at this point. And it was pre-pandemic, but just oh, that's barely. right. No, almost three years. December, well, December of 2021. No, 19, 2019. 19. Oh, oh my God. You were multiple years <laughs> off on that. I don't even know what day it is today. <laughs> yeah. I just, I saw one of these memes that's like, basically somebody who's like me still grappling with 2020 and like keeping it in the background 2023 holy shit um yeah but yeah the the one thing about a network that would be nice is that like we have barely enough free headspace and brain cells to (laughs) occasionally like go and put this together and the research and like the audrey still ever since like the first couple months past you've been doing all of the editing by yourself i did it at first Mm -hmm. but audrey really took that on and with a podcast, like it can be fun and great and listen to it. And the people who have found our podcast, like really love it, but it is a whole separate thing to get it out to enough people and ears to then like have it make sense to like run ads, which then if you get big enough, makes sense to like actually pay somebody to do the editing, which then makes sense to like get some more ads and then like, you know, make it a real, you know, thing that you spend additional time on. Uh, Cause we do have like real day jobs. I've, oh yeah. Other chaos. I have a, I have a different day job at my same company, <laughs> but a different day job now that I did before the six months started too. forget about that part. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So would it be great to find a network that would just like love the show and like it help do some of the businessy sides and like make it more sustainable for our time, like help pay people to help out and do some of the grunt work. Absolutely. Are we going to go to the mat for the wrong thing? Probably not. And that's what we learned. We learned, you know, getting mm-hmm. it right is, is worth the time. And um, also, if we had been contractually obligated to produce this podcast every week during all of these crises, eh, the quality would have slipped tremendously. Oh, no. So. If we had been contractually obligated, I would have burned something to the ground. I don't know what. <laughs> not our, not something of ours, something of somebody right. else's. Yeah. But I don't know. It would have been something. Um, sure. I would have just lost my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. True. Yeah. For sure. So it was not the right time. Starts into the line. Yep. But now here we are. A new episode. We're going to, you know, the last episode we released, the Alexander Graham Bell was in a new format. Um, if folks are coming to this episode looking to see the hero's name in the title, they're going to be a little bit surprised because we're trying the new episode again or the new format again. But in order for this new format to work, the hero reveal has to be a bit of a secret. And so, um, Elliot doesn't know who this week's hero is. Kind of like going back to the beginning. This is what we were doing at the beginning, but it's a little bit more fun, a little more punchy. And we're going to give it a whirl. If you all like it, please let us know on social media. Send us an email. If you want us to just go back to rambling in whatever chronological order we told the story of these people's lives, let us know that too. Feedback is a gift. With, with our entire preamble, let's dive in. So the new format starts if you're familiar, with a game called Name That Hero. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I am going to give you a chance to guess our hero. Okay. I'm going to give you three kind of weird hints and see if you can get there. Let's do it. Okay. Hint number one. At age 17, this week's hero claims to have heard the first of many calls from God causing them to reject social expectations and dedicate their life to causes like the abolition of draconian prostitution laws and Ooh. data visualization. Okay, I was going uh, Joan of Arc until you said data visualization. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I am fairly confident Joan of Arc either 
<laughs> was actually getting messages from God. Okay. Or was hearing voices and personally very convinced they were hearing messages from God. Mm-hmm. And neither of those scenarios was infographics on the table. So <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think I'm going to need hint number two. She's out. Okay, well, what I'm going to actually do is give you a little bit of uh, biographical details and set the stage for where this person is in time as part of this like hint. And then I've got a couple other more unhinged <laughs> facts to share before I tell you who this week's hero is. Okay, so are you ready for place and time? Let's do it. This hero was born on May 12th, 1820. Okay, so not that far back. We're mm. in recorded history. We're in recorded history. And you know what else isn't that far back? Audrey's Astrology Corner. Oh, no. I have to give the people what they want. I We're forgot, back. It's just a little I bit. I honestly <laughs> forgotten entirely about this segment. That, oh, man. Okay, so before we actually get back to 1820, here in the year 2022, this is what we know about people born on May 12th. Tauruses born on May 12th are well known for their disciplined and loyal nature. At times, their order and discipline are hard to match. There have been few times where they did not complete a task they set to accomplish. Tauruses born on May 12th are not so much leaders as they are guides, eager to show others the world through their eyes. They appreciate the serious aspects of life, even though they seem to be caught up in living it. They have boundless energy and give equal amounts to both work and play. Keep that in mind. Equal amounts to work no, and play. The whole thing. The whole okay. thing. Okay. Set their mind to something and do it. Mm -hmm. Again, again, I feel like this could describe a lot of people. This is not, this is not <laughs> specific enough to give it away, uh, which makes me slightly skeptical of this astrology thing. I don't know. I was maybe on board before, but this one seems kind of vague compared to all of the other <laughs> astrology horoscopes I've ever heard in my life. I'm starting to have doubts now. See okay. Well, there's no me. room for there's no room for doubts on this podcast. <laughs> Believe me, I'm very trustworthy. Source, trust me, bro. Okay, got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so back to 1820. Let's set the stage. Here's what's happening in the world. So rise of the first industrial revolution. Photography, rail transport, textile industry are among those that like sort of largely develop and grow prominent over this decade. And technology starts to advance significantly. What else do you know about the 1820s? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? What else do I know about the 1820s? What yeah. don't I know about the 1820s? Um, okay, you know the 1820s? Name three songs by them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see. 1820s. Uh, yes, Industrial Revolution. Uh, we haven't talked about a part of the world here yet. So like, I, I feel like I could picture... Mm -hmm. America in the 1820s pretty well. I feel okay. less confident. I'm exactly familiar with like where we were at in Japan, for example. Okay, um, well, a lot of a lot of trade was actually happening in Asia at the time. This that was pretty big. You know why? Colonialism. So the big okay, other thing yes. that's happening in the 1820s is that white folks were like, "Hey, I want mm -hmm. that. I'm taking it. That's mine. Give me." You do have transatlantic slave trade, but also, yeah, they're just like walking into places like Africa and India and being like, oh, hey, so uh, this, these lines here, this is now a country and this is ours. And people are like, yes. what? Yeah, okay, got it. Okay, so that's, a, that's kind of an important part of this. Um, another thing that's happening, Beethoven's uh, Symphony Number no. 9 
was released in the, the, the world. He dun, dropped dun, that dun, single. Dun. And I Is think that it? that's, uh, it's one of his. I don't know if no, that's, that's number that's nine. No, that's Beethoven's fifth? That's Beethoven's yeah, fifth. Yeah, I think Wait that's the fifth. I don't know what number nine sounds like. Just take number five, ramp it up nine times, four times. <laughs> <laughs> How good was the fifth one? That plus four. Okay, hold on. Uh, wait, I'm getting a clip from Beethoven's ninth uh, to remind myself. I know everybody's heard it, but I'm trying to remember which one it is. Oh, I, um, I don't know that I've heard it. Everybody? Yeah, okay, no. Not everybody's heard it necessarily. What I will say is the intro, not as catchy as the old stuff. <laughs> you know the back catalog kind of fell off a little bit kind of like drake yes i'm sure it has moments people would recognize mm, okay some people like musicians or like classical musicians conductors beethoven's kind of a big deal anybody who's seen the movie beethoven with the saint bernards is it in that oh is it the same beethoven <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the saint bernard beethoven he it's his album from I the 1820s that it was a dog that wrote all that that it, that's actually way more impressive honestly it's way more impressive right um so anyway this dog in 1820 released the symphony elliot says some of us would recognize it that's on you to find out uh because we're not going to play a clip here i'm gonna go back and listen to it and <laughs> okay, i'll be like oh yeah you. this is familiar that's what i'm gonna say because i have okay. culture i have culture <laughs> speaking of culture rugby is also invented in eight, in the 1820s, before that, there was no formal name for tackling someone holding a ball you wanted, mm. I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, see, that's the slow, steady march of humanity's progress. The Wikipedia page was just full of facts. But the important thing is, is right before the Victorian era, right, the 1820s, this is when this person's born. There's a ton of industry and European colonialism is just out of control. Let me tell you more specifically about this person. So this person grew up in a wealthy British family. They were actually born in Italy um, and consequently named after the city of their birth. Hint. Is it Roman Mars? <laughs> it's not Roman Mars. Oh, damn. Okay, keep going then. This week's hero had one older sister. Um, and I'm actually going to tell you that this hero is, is a girl. She was born female, identified as a woman. And that's important because it provides a lot of context. Unlike other girls her age, her father was actually really progressive. And he was very dedicated to educating his two daughters. So he had two daughters and he was like, listen, if you're going to inherit all this wealth, you better know what to do with it. So you're going to learn today. And so unlike many of their peers, these two sisters are very well educated. Um, and this hero was described as, quote, having an extraordinary ability to collect and analyze data. Infographics. 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 Yeah, that data okay. comes in handy, comes in young. It's mm -hmm. a proclivity that she has from a young age, enjoys it. I, that could never be me. I do not understand that, but good for her. Oh, that's, I have seen you put together lovely infographics in your time. You love a good visual layout. You don't even lie. I I love a good design, but I uh, don't trust me with the data. Just tell me what numbers to put on the picture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So growing up, this, this hero, she was described as being very attractive, but she had a severe personality. However, she possessed a charm she could turn on when advantageous, mm. which, okay, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Severe but charming. Okay. <laughs> Get yours. Okay. This is Audrey's personality, by the way, in case you haven't picked right, up on this. Right. Yes. Yeah. At one point in her own diary, she wrote that she is neither good natured nor complying. 
Your diary? What? <laughs> yeah. Right? Sorry. Yeah. For everybody, everybody who's not familiar, maybe hasn't listened to all the episodes, Audrey is extremely charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the hour we do this podcast <laughs> <laughs> so mean right up to it and afterwards don't talk to me it's over i saved it for the show <laughs> <laughs> used it up actually so it's good mm-hmm. it's good the break has been nice got a yeah. lot to go with okay so that's a lot of information going like spanning from astrology to beethoven the dog mm-hmm. to a uh, severe and charming child mm-hmm. any guesses who this week's hero is yet I mean, I kind of do, actually. I, I think now that we know its infographics and we know a general time period and area of the world, uh, let mm-hmm. me just ask, is this person at all potentially involved with something in the uh, health or public health space, maybe? Uh, she is, uh, a, a uh, little okay. bit, yep. So I think I know who it is. I think okay. I know who it is. Well, let me go ahead, give you the next clue, and we'll see if you can get there from here, Okay. This week's hero once rescued a juvenile owl from a group of kids who were tormenting it, named the owl after the Greek goddess of war, Athena, and then carried it around in her pocket as a pet. Uh, That clue, while fantastic, (laughs) is not helpful whatsoever. And in fact, I feel like it's there only to confuse me because I felt less confident after I heard it than I did before. But I'll tell you what, you will never think of this hero again and not think of this little owl in her pocket called Athena. Especially because uh, if it's who I'm thinking of, there's a definite bird theme now (laughs) to both the hero and her pet. Yes. All right. Let me give you this last one and then tell us who this week's hero is. So in spite of ardent protests from her parents, this week's hero is most well known for revolutionizing 19th century healthcare hygiene practices and her wartime care of sick and dying soldiers during the Crimean War. Oh, I thought it was World War One. It's Crimean War. Interesting. Okay. okay. So literally down in my notes, literally down mm-hmm. in my notes, I wrote like, I knew nothing about her. I legit thought she was from the Revolutionary and or Civil War. <laughs> oh, that's about you. Okay. <laughs> it's the yes. Crimean War. It's not, it's, it could have been 1776. It's the same time period. Like she's generally alive. But yeah, Crimean War is not the war I would have guessed at all in a million years. No. But... I can say now with all of those clues, especially the wartime healthcare, uh, I feel very confident that this week's hero with her little bird in her pocket is Florence Nightingale. That is correct. This week's hero is Florence Nightingale. What do you know about her? So I do know that Florence Nightingale has this reputation for being a health figure advocating for things like we take for granted today, like cleaning wounds and sanitation. Mm -hmm. And even if she wasn't like a medical expert in the sense of like a surgeon or doctor, her work to advocate for keeping dirt. And I forget if we're actually at the accepted like germ theory of disease at this stage. Um, Okay. So we're pre germ theory of disease, but she just was still able to draw a connection between keeping like wounds clean and people surviving them and getting healthier and things. Um, Mm -hmm. And And we'll get to that. And her work specifically. So there's a fantastic podcast about Florence Nightingale that um, probably has a very different emphasis, but one of my favorite podcasts (laughs) of all time, uh, Cautionary Tales, is about the very clear data-driven side of her work. She was Mm -hmm. a real pioneer in, in like using and collecting data to make a case to lawmakers and decision makers and and 
public officials to show this like statistical connection that like if you did these things, they would end up helping people stay healthier. And that part, that part that is like very data and and th- that's actually the infographics that gave it away for me because that oh. emphasis for her on doing the mathematical work mm-hmm. actually is much bigger breakthrough than even any of the like, you know, wound care stuff that she did on the battlefield in terms of the lasting sure. contributions. Just like you mentioned, so she like best known for things like reforming sanitation practices. She advocated for better nutrition and rest for soldiers. This big thing that gets overlooked a lot, though, like you said, she collected data and uh, created some of the most organized training modules for nurses. Like before then, the training for nurses was like two weeks. You just showed up and they were like, hey, can you keep this guy alive? And at the end of the two weeks, most of the nurses were like, probably not. It's the 1820s. I don't know. <laughs> we'll roll the dice on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, in general, she w- was considered a quality nurse, especially, you know, considering all of the other poor training and previous conditions. But that's not what this show's about. We know that there's more to this hero. There's if you can believe it, a very sanitized uh, 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 legacy oh, oh, <laughs> of Florence Nightingale. That's, that's why we're here. We're here to, to make it dirty. Well, actually, we didn't make it dirty. She did. We're just here to tell you about it. We're here to tell you the unsanitized version of the story of Florence Nightingale. We're going to dig into specifically two of her lesser known legacies. The lesser known legacy number one. Although she's often held up as this like ultimate feminist for professionalizing nursing and encouraging women to be successful on their own terms, Florence Nightingale had a ton of internalized misogyny and wasn't actually down for the cause. Didn't, was, was not a friend of most women. She was actually drawn to nursing as a way to help God reform the profession from what she considered uh, an overwhelm of quote unquote prostitutes and alcoholics. Wait, ju- just to be clear about what she's saying here, is she saying that the problem with nursing as a profession is that it was too filled with alcoholics and prostitutes, in her words, Those are doing her words, the yes. job? Yes, yes. So let I me, don't want to me... speak on behalf of all <laughs> nurses here, but at least half of that equation is probably still true. So definitely failed in at least part of her mission. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Being a nurse sounds terrible. But let me tell you about nursing in the 1820s. Let me give you a little order of events. Honestly, sounds like not more interesting than nursing now. From the sound. <laughs> okay, so Florence Nightingale, she's 17. She hears God. She believes she hears God at 17. She didn't know what to do with this calling. Basically, what God said to her was like, go do my will. And she was like, yo, uh, any other instructions? And then he shuts up for a while. He doesn't. Mm. He comes back three or four more times, but there's a long pause between "Hey, go do my will," and her finding all of these "quote unquote" prostitutes and alcoholics. Kind of a theme, honestly, with people <laughs> of this period hearing the voice of God uh, tends right. to be real short on the details and leaves a <laughs> lot of room for interpretation. Uh, not always for the to like 
the interpretation does not always uh, go the direction that I would expect God to want it to go in either. So mm-hmm. right, right. just a note for God, if, if he's listening to this, you really got to be more specific for a lot of these <laughs> people. Like you don't, I don't know if you're noticing, but like they are taking this shit in some wild directions. So please, <laughs> if you just fill in a little bit more of those details, I think it could go a long way. Yeah. Some, some more golden tablets, if you will, write it down. Let us let us take notes. Yeah, the tablets were great. Like, just <laughs> carve it there. N- not ambiguous. Let everybody see it. Haven't done that in a while, but it feels like we could really use a little bit more clarity Some on updates. the outcomes. <laughs> okay, so she hears God. She takes a look around. She's like, "How? Oh, what can I do? Uh, what, like, what is his will? And she thinks to herself, well... Women are stupid and I don't respect them. And specifically <laughs> okay. nurses. So just to be clear, <laughs> for anybody who didn't catch his reference, is it John LaHoy? Is that his name? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like that. So th- it, was that in the league when he was doing the league? Yeah. I think, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So there's this when amazing show called The League. Yeah. When he was playing the character Taco, John LaHoy, I think is the actor's name. He does a rap video at one point. And the opening lines of this rap video are women are stupid and I don't respect them. And it is uh, worth watching if you've never seen it. But yeah. didn't know he was actually, you know, he's deep the in the game. of God. Yeah. He was referencing Florence Nightingale in that line. That's good to know. <laughs> right. So she doesn't actually think that women in general are stupid, but she does not respect nurses. And she thinks, oh, I have all this wealth and knowledge. God wants me to be like evangelical in some way. Where, where are um, women in need of my services? And she's like, the nurses. That's, that's where they need my services. So a lot of times people hold her up as like, oh, she, you know, is this mercy of angel. And it's like, oh or this angel of mercy, because she cared so much about nursing. She just really wanted there to be fewer uh, prostitutes and alcoholics as nurses. So let me actually give you some context on that quote, uh, which is what she like legitimately was concerned about. From an article in the Journal of Military Medicine and Health, let me give you this quote. At that time, nursing was seen as the very lowest of vocations. Most nurses were alcoholics. They were permitted and were expected to drink alcohol (laughs) while they worked. Oh, many of them were also prostitutes. I'm going to start referring to uh, people in that profession as sex workers from here on out. But I'm just I want to quit this. Many of them were also prostitutes. It was customary for young women of low social class to look to a life of sex work and nursing with the consumption of large amounts of alcohol to make the other two occupations seem a little more bearable. (laughs) The the average nurse, when Florence was a young woman, would think nothing of combining her three occupational interests in a single night. She would sit watch over her patient, sipping her gin, and if her patient was well enough and had the money, extra services could be provided. When young Florence rejected several handsome and uh, attractive suitors and announced her intention to become a nurse, Society in general and her family in particular were scandalized. Just so, just I just because, skimmed right over the drinking gin. Yeah, providing okay, one. I just <laughs> want to stop there and be like, it sounds like there's way worse jobs you could have. Honestly, oh, for um, real. Um, it, it sounds like being a nurse in modern times is worse than this. <laughs> yes. Imagine, like, for all you nurses out there feeling run ragged, imagine if you could work half the hours. <laughs> Little sex work thrown in and drinking while you're doing your nursing job like that. I mean, not for me, but if you wanted, I feel like that should still be a viable career path. Uh, Also, the fact that she just turns down the suitors and everybody's first thought is, oh, great. Now you're fucking for money. Fantastic. Like that is a bit that seems like a leap. 
but like that seems like exactly what they assumed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let me finish this quote from this article. As most nurses were prostitutes, the military in particular had a policy of no nurses after dark when a wounded soldier's mind might turn to naughty things. The fact that she had a lamp was a symbol for her working at night, but that she was a lady, a woman of decent morality. Okay, so that's the context. Where does she get, what's the lamp connection here? She's, it's a lady with a lamp. Like she like carries her lamp to the bedsides of soldiers at night. And oh. she's not just like sneaky sneaking into the dark. She's like, oh, she's not a nurse, like walking around under cover of darkness. She's like a nurse, mm-hmm. but like, I am too upstanding. I'm carrying this lamp so everybody can see that we're not fucking, yeah. I am here just as a nurse. Thank you very much. Yes. Man, imagine having the opportunity to be a nurse, but a cool fucking nurse. <laughs> And just blowing it that big. Like, come on. It's God's will. It's God's will. opportunity. So flash forward. It's 1853. Florence at this point is 33. She becomes this hospital administrator of some sort. She's got God's will in the back of her mind. She is set on like making changes to improve not only the practices of like patient observation and treatment, but really the moral standards of the people working in the hospital. She saw the main object of nursing, of nurse training as being not like, hey, here's how you dress a wound, but it was character development, discipline, and moral training. One of her famous sayings she would say while she was training people was, you cannot be a good nurse without being a good woman. Little opinionated and persnickety about that point. Yeah. She um, also put like structures into place to ensure that her nurses in particular were quote unquote good women. She watched her nurses to make sure they were pure. Red flag. Mm -hmm. She forced them to live in dormitories and restricted their access to men until they could acceptably move into their own home, quote, presumably in a virginal state. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like there, there were nuns doing nursing, I'm assuming, right? Or is that after this? Basically, she's asking them to kind of live like nuns in dorms. Yeah, until until they have like a suitable husband. Mm-hmm. Um, she at one point was like, having a hospital is all the husband I need. Oh, I bet it is, Florence, mm-hmm. but some of these ladies would like to get married. Um, but this, this like, you know, sort of patriarchal or patronizing of her grown adult professional women has led some scholars to argue that Nightingale achieved her goal of making nurses respectable by encouraging them to conform to sexist norms of purity and subservience. And, okay, so based on the fact that she never married and never even really considered a suitor, we can assume Florence Nightingale was always, quote unquote, presumably in a virginal state. And we're not going to talk about it today, but on today's episode of History, we'll say they were friends. I am going to note that the longest, most meaningful relationship of Florence Nightingale's life was a very close 40-year friendship with a woman who was 27 years her senior, which is probably the coolest thing about her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if I'm <Yeah>. being honest. <laughs> yeah, okay. So she's like, I don't need no husband. I just have a 40-year roommate. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yes. Anyway, she was, um, you know, this big proponent of training women to be better reformed nurses. And that's sort of like where her threshold for women's advancement ends. Here's, here's an example. She had a close friendship with Elizabeth Blackwell. You may may know who that is. She was the first woman in England to get a medical degree. And she had this close friendship with her up until the point Elizabeth Blackwell was like, hey, how about some of these good nurses become doctors? And Florence Nightingale was like, oh, no, women need to know their place. And the fact that you're a doctor is actually kind of not cool. Against God's will. 
Oh, against okay. God's will. Yes. Got it. So their friendship breaks up over whether or not women should be doctors. And here's what Florence herself wrote about, quote unquote, female MDs. Red flag. Don't. Th- females. <laughs> female MDs. She wrote, quote, the women have made no improvement. They have only tried to be men. And they have only succeeded in being third rate men. These women have, in my opinion, failed. And in her book, Notes on Nursing, she reiterated these thoughts by saying, quote, I would honestly ask my sisters to keep clear of the jargon, namely about the quote unquote rights of women, which urges women to do all that men do in medicine and other professions. Stay away from that jargon, like, you know, rights for women. <laughs> I thought she was going to talk about medical jargon. No, she's like, you know, <laughs> the jargon like voting and Owning property and not being owned as property. All of that stuff. Stay away from it. Just to put a pin on this, uh, I will say this was a fairly common sentiment of the time. In the British Journal of Medicine, they actually said out loud, the mission of Florence Nightingale. But let me, let me clarify. This was in 1859. So they're not saying this out loud now. They said it out loud back then, though. Okay, the mission it. of Florence Nightingale was one of mercy and benevolence. She went that she might afford to the sick and wounded the treatment which women alone could give them. The mission of the lady doctors is, what is it? We lament to record our conviction that it is one of arrogance and self-glorification. <laughs> <laughs> Those arrogant lady doctors <laughs> trying lady to cure doctors. diseases. <laughs> okay, so that is a lesser-known legacy number one. Lesser-known legacy number two is that Florence Nightingale was a big old racist who used white Christian ideology to justify genocide. Oh, okay. Oh, a big I one. have to say, I wasn't, I wasn't really expecting it, but anytime you're telling me we are in the colonial period yep. mm-hmm. of Europe and uh, we find out somebody's super fucking racist, <laughs> I gotta say, I'm not actually gobsmacked anymore at no. this point. To be fair, not everyone was super fucking racist, but Florence Nightingale very much was, right? So, like I mentioned, she was often referred to as an angel of mercy, but that mercy rarely extended to non-white people. And I'm going to um, just sort of share some information from this fantastic article, uh, this piece by this uh, person named Natalie Stake Doucette. She wrote an article called The Racist Lady with the Lamp. And um, there's just so much more information in it than I could pack into this. But a lot of this research comes from here. And this, like, Natalie went through Florence Nightingale's own diaries to collect this information. So this is firsthand, like, what Florence Nightingale had to say about the matter. Yeah, so this is us sharing what somebody actually researched from the primary source of her diaries. Yes. Florence Nightingale was at a ton of, like, social and political support for the, for the genocide of indigenous people. And... British, British colonialism, like whatever it cost. She explicitly believed indigenous lives were a quote unquote small price to pay for the expansion of the British Empire. Oh, damn. She clearly understood how brutal colonialism was. Like she saw what, what it did. When other people, like other nurses brought this up to her, her response was that she would quote, be simply preserving their barbarism for the sake of preserving their lives Ooh. if there wasn't colonialism involved. She explicitly believed indigenous people to be inferior and that the British state was a civilizing force. Her, her singular only issue with colonialism was that she thought that the British government was trying to assimilate people too fast. 
And she thought this was the reason that there were so many deaths and illnesses in colonial schools and hospitals. She thought it should be more gradual in order to minimize the death toll. Um, but she had no issue with the death toll itself. Here's what she wrote. Every society which has been formed has had to sacrifice large portions, proportions of its earlier generation to the new conditions of life arising out of the mere fact of change. And I'm going to take this one step further because it gets worse. She went so far as to say that the deaths of indigenous people was due to the habits of those indigenous people and that the British rule was actually just catalyzing the process of decay, quote unquote decay, that was already in motion. She's basically saying the way that people who have not been colonized are living is mm -hmm. dirty and decaying. And we yes. are literally their white saviors in a literal sense, saving yes. them from the decay of their own lives. Yes. And as we know, that's in stark contrast to Florence Nightingale's obsession with cleanliness or sanitation. And from a modern perspective, we can look at it and be like, oh, infection's bad. <laughs> there are places where things should be really sanitary, like the battlefield <laughs> or like during surgery. Here's what's important, though. Her relationship to sanitation was not about infection at all. It was about cleanliness and purity as a symbol of doing God's work. And so when she sees indigenous people that she associates filth and decay with, she has no problem with allowing them to die. But in her work, the people who are um, willing to be clean and close to God deserve to live, especially white people. Oh, shit. Okay. So, what we're saying here is that if Florence Nightingale was going around and helping to clean wounds, it was not because she had a cutting edge ahead of her time understanding of the germ theory of disease that she like somehow intuited and was trying to save those lives. She was like, oh, I'm going to these white soldiers on the battlefield and uh, who are, you know, maybe in the midst of power struggles to like expand, uh, you know, European colonial power. And to the extent that they are dirty when they get injured, uh, that's too much like these uh, savage native peoples. And yes. I am, that's just unbecoming of somebody of the white race. And so I, yes. am, I am essentially going and helping to return them to their uh, underlying whiteness by cleaning them. And it just so happened she lucked into some public health benefit from this. But <laughs> yeah. it's all Let's about dig into that. <laughs> it's all about the racism. Yeah. The wow. what she calls the godly supremacy. So the godly the, supremacy. Oh the godly Christian, supremacy. Christian white supremacist. <laughs> Fun. Yep. I didn't see that coming. Yep. So Victorian rituals were often attached to uh, this idea of purity, right? So we see um, cleanliness as a syn synonym for purity. Nightingale herself says, when we all obey God's laws as to cleanliness, health is the result. When we disobey, sickness. And so obviously, this godly supremacy reinforced colonialism, which reinforced genocide and brutality. And Florence Nightingale was like, yes, I'm here for that. Mm -hmm. There are examples where this plays out day to day. Um, if folks are interested in finding more information, they can research this um, nurse, this Jamaican nurse named Mary Seacole. Um, she had a very complicated relationship with Florence Nightingale, but she was actually a really good nurse and she was not white, which is why you don't hear about her. 
be like an unsung heroes short in the making. Oh, great idea. We can do a follow up. So we have our two lesser known legacies, not actually a friend of women, definitely a white supremacist. Let's talk about why that matters. Like, why does it matter to air out this dirty laundry? Here's what we know. Structural racism in medicine is very, very real and prevalent today, as is misogyny and all sorts of other oppression. If you're not white, you know, Florence Nightingale didn't single-handedly create these systems, but her life and her legacy really reinforce and evangelize and uphold them. Um, When this idea of like, the hero of nursing is this wealthy white woman who was obsessed with being clean for God, a lot of shit goes wrong. And that, that actually has a lasting impact. Here's an example. Uh, maternal mortality rate for black women is nearly three times higher than that of white women. All the reasons cited for this, it's all about disparity directly related to misogyny and racism. And I, I will say, just because I know... Um there have been studies on this in the relatively recent past. A lot of the uh, care outcomes for yes. people of color actually vanish despite resource constraints and our unfair health system if yes. they have doctors and caregivers of color. Yes. If people yes. have somebody who, through empathy of their own experience, takes your medical concerns seriously, it turns out that those <laughs> are not like predetermined outcomes. You can actually nope. have equ- equitable outcomes. But it is a very hard thing, apparently, for Mm -hmm. white doctors to treat non-white patients equitably. That's exactly right. Again, did Florence Nightingale cause this directly? No. But these are the like dangerous outcomes when the narrative around nursing in particular is centered on this like puritanical misogynistic ideology. And, you know, this idea that all of her work was to do God's will, that's fine for her, right? Like, do it. If you feel called by God to do something, amazing. What you can't do, though, (laughs) is try and build an entire system that treats everybody, even if they don't believe in the same things as you, and try and force that into the system. Yeah. When we talk about structural racism and institutional racism, that is like a boogeyman for a lot of people uh, in present day America. But what it means is that like when the systems that we still have today are being codified and originate, there's racism in the world and their codification and institutionalization is not a separate thing from the situation in the world that they're being originated from. And so as nurses are going from this weird combination of like sex workers (laughs) to (laughs) professionals, the fact that one of the people who is like, incredibly influential and like a a groundbreaking presence in the codification of what those systems of training and institutionalization look like. The fact that she has an explicit white Christian nationalist (laughs) lens to her work. um, (laughs) You can't say it's directly responsible for all of the disparities and outcome we see today. But what you can say is like, we started off on the wrong foot and we clearly have not recovered (laughs) completely. Right. Yes. I want to share one more quote from this really interesting article. Again, if folks are interested, this is accessible online. I think it's really worth looking into if this is a topic of interest to you. But there's this article called Nursing Obedience and Complicity with Eugenics, a Contextual Interpretation of Nursing Morality at the Turn of the 20th Century. And here's a quote. Reformers such as Nightingale saw their concern not solely as medical or sanitary or simply humanitarian, but fundamentally as a religious Christianizing mission. 
Nurses, through their constant care at the bedside of the ill, were in the best position to offer salvation to the poor, sick, and dying. And you know what? Uh, Mother Teresa believed the same thing and got about the same outcome. (laughs) Yep. Very clearly carried over into the 20th century. Yeah. So anyway, yes, Florence Nightingale did some good things. Some of them were unintentional. This idea that she was just like leading to more, or she was doing more sanitation so that it would lead people back to their union with God is um, neat. <laughs> I'm glad that we sanitize stuff now, but broken clock, right? Twice a day. <laughs> right, yep. exactly. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get a boatload of messages. She was a product of her time, but that one's not going to fly with me on this one because her legacy, I think structurally, institutionally, apart from some of the politicians that we've talked about, hers has had a pretty significant structural and institutional impact that transcends her time. And so, you know, we have a, a an obligation, a responsibility collectively to look at the full context of who she was and take that into consideration. So like she can be a product of her time, but a product of her time was racist and misogynistic. And it's like, we should name that. And the fact that she has contemporary peers Elizabeth Blackwell, who is yes. at that same moment in history with all the same historical yes. influences being like women deserve both rights and the ability to like be doctors and respected as medical professionals. And she at that exact same moment is like, fuck you, shut that down. Yes. Shows that like even in the time you can have a positive influence on moving the cause forward. And she was explicitly not doing that. Explicitly. Those are the two lesser known legacies to wrap it up. She died peacefully in her sleep at the age of 90. And, you know, obviously, we all still know her today. <laughs> Most of us, I guess, don't know what war she served in. But <laughs> Most of us on this podcast don't, that's for sure. 100% of us. <laughs> so despite these positive contributions, sanitation, advocating for better nutrition, professionalizing uh, nursing such that it was organized and included data... Florence Nightingale is not my hero. Yeah, I had to say it coming in. I thought I was like slightly above average in my Florence Nightingale knowledge. Um, And still definitely recommend people check out that Tim Hartford Cautionary Tales because it is fantastic. But yeah, it is uh, a a much worse look the more you get to know her. (laughs) That's for sure. All right. Well, I'm going to take us out with our last segment, Surprise to Audrey, that I prepared, which is called We rewrite history. I love it. To take us out, historical scenario, tell you what it is. You tell me what you would have done differently. So in our theme of... Very poor judgment. (laughs) In our theme of both wartime conflict and Mm. our new puppy, today's segment is about the military decorated, medal winning Great Dane Juliana. 1940s, World War II, in England, Great Dane Juliana, you're sitting in your house, Blitzkrieg, Germans are bombing, Uh incendiary bomb, starting Uh fires, like, drops through the roof. Oh, no. Right? Lands in the middle of the living room with a family. Family is freaking out. Juliana the dog walks over, sniffs the bomb. Pees on it. Lifts up her leg, pees on it, puts the bomb out, saves the entire family. No, stop. For this act of heroism, Juliana the Great Dane wins uh, a Blue Cross medal. Three years later, 
shoe shop next door catches on fire. Juliana wakes up the family, alerts them, wins a second Blue Cross medal. Two Blue Cross medals for this Great Dane Juliana for the acts of heroism. So, Audrey, sure. my question to you: We're there randomly. World War Three. Russia drops <gasps> a bomb in our house. Lands in there. What do our dogs do? Oh, God. Uh, well, I, I don't even think it wakes Fancy up. He's probably unbothered by mm-hmm. it. I think Lanyap is pretty, she's, she's a little bit nervous. She's shifty. Mm-hmm. I, I think she runs away. Or I pick her up and we run out of the house. Not, yeah. not a lot of good that's going to do. I'm not, very, I'm not faster than a bomb. But like, no. <laughs> <laughs> what does sugar milk do? Dies. She dies. Yeah. She can't even walk. Our, it's our cat, our cat with hyper, uh, cerebellar hyperplasia. She can't even walk. Like, she's not escaping a bomb. <laughs> she doesn't just, like, flop on it as a final act of heroism. Who knows? No. She certainly does not. We just all die is actually what okay. happens. So if we're we rewrite history, 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 curtains for the Sanchez family. <laughs> Everybody in the house, gone. It's Goodbye. totally gone. Yeah, done. It's over. Just like this podcast. Thanks, everyone, for understanding as we took a break and for coming back. If you want to continue to support us, please, you know, like, share, rate, review, spread the word, follow us on social. We're most active on Instagram at Your Heroes Pod. Um, and until next time, don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.